Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. Crews continue to face challenging conditions in battling large wildfires across Northern California. The Dixie Fire burning in Butte and Plumas counties has burned more than 40,000 acres and remains 15% contained. Here's incident meteorologist Julia Rutherford describing some of the smoke columns above the fire over the last few days. We had a couple of time periods where they got big enough uh, that it actually the fire actually generated a thunderstorm over itself um, that led to some lightning out ahead of it and some really gusty and erratic winds. The utility PG&E filed an incident report late Sunday night saying its infrastructure may have contributed to the start of that fire. Thunderstorms and heavy smoke have also challenged crews battling the Tamarack Fire in Alpine County south of Lake Tahoe. That fire has burned more than 39,000 acres. There is still no containment on that one. Turning to the pandemic, the rate of people testing positive for the coronavirus in California continues to rise to levels the state hasn't seen for months. The weekly test positivity rate now stands at 4.1 percent, the highest level it's been at since February. Concerns over the spread of the Delta variant, particularly among people who are unvaccinated, has forced local health officials to take action. L.A. County is mandating masks indoors for everyone, no matter of their vaccination status. Most of the Bay Area, Sacramento and Yolo counties are strongly recommending masks indoors as well. When asked if he might implement another statewide mask mandate at a news conference yesterday, Governor Newsom avoided formally answering the question. Instead, talking about the importance of getting vaccinated. If we want to end this pandemic once and for all, if we want to turn the page, we can get it done in a matter of weeks, not months. It's as simple as this. If you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated. Some counties are now going door to door to try to get more Californians the vaccine. Turning to September's recall now, critics of Governor Gavin Newsom say his COVID-19 restrictions were unfair and damaging to small businesses, thousands of which permanently closed during the pandemic. Now, as KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati explains, Newsom is emphasizing his small business roots ahead of the election. In Calaveras County, tucked in the foothills of the Sierra in California's gold country, nearly one in five voters signed the petition to recall Newsom, the third highest rate of any county in the state. And small business owners like Gretel Tuscornia were at the heart of the campaign. Tuscornia owns the Pickle Patch restaurant in San Andreas and Mingo's on Main, a store in downtown Angel's Camp. Kind of a, just an eclectic group of snarky items that make people laugh when they come in. When the pandemic hit, Tuscornia closed her shop, but felt big business was getting a pass. Places like Walmart and Costco that are open all the time, serving hundreds of people. Super contradictory. Newsom had set up a color-coded system to restrict business activities, which he credits with saving lives. But Tuscornia felt whiplash. I kind of just got to the point where I was just tired of the, oh, it's, it's red, oh, it's purple, oh, it's green, oh, it's blue, oh, it's I don't know what color of the rainbow we were in this time. So when the governor declared a second stay-at-home order in December, Tuscornia and other local business owners in Calaveras decided to ignore it. So I just stopped listening and I just went about business as usual. Tuscornia stayed open for outdoor dining with a new item on the menu, 
a petition to recall the governor. Sometimes they came in just to sign that. They didn't have lunch, they didn't buy anything, they just came in to sign it. Recall organizers say 900 business owners across the state offered petition signings in their shops. Others went viral with their outrage. You might remember Angela Marsden, an L.A. area restaurant owner whose business was shuttered while film production continued right next door. And Gavin Newsom is responsible for every single person that doesn't have unemployment, that does not have a job, and all the businesses that are going under. Thanks in part to the anger of these small business owners, Newsom is facing the most important political challenge of his career. But as the governor tells it, a quarter century ago, he was in the same shoes as these store owners. In the 90s, Newsom ran a wine shop and restaurants and felt politicians were out of touch with the needs of small business. So he complained to the mayor of San Francisco. That guy, Willie Brown, was angry with me and shut me up by making me chair of the Parking and Traffic Commission. And here I am. It's all damn connected. Being the frustrated store owner was Newsom's original political pitch two decades ago. His experiences in small business, he felt like he could help people using those experiences. Ellie Schaefer ran Newsom's very first campaign, his 1998 run for supervisor. Unlike your average shop owner, Newsom had ties to some of San Francisco's wealthiest and most well-connected families. He still ran up against roadblock after roadblock about starting his small business. And... His philosophy, you know, at the time was like, if I'm running up against these roadblocks and I have the leg up that I have, what are other people who don't have these advantages running up against? Now, as business owners face months of back rent after a year of digging into personal savings and watching inventory go bad, Newsom is directing billions of dollars in grants to help those businesses get back on their feet. And he argues that he still gets it, that he uniquely understands their plight. After all, to find the last governor who went straight from running a business into politics, you'd have to go back roughly a century. At a visit to a San Francisco restaurant last month, I asked Newsom if that history made him feel a special responsibility to small business owners across the state. It's a big point of pride. It's personal for me. Um, you know, I can't express to you how many extraordinary things have happened in my life because I had the privilege to be behind a counter serving other people. Back in Calaveras County, Gretel Tascornia isn't convinced. I don't know if Newsom ever can be considered one of us. And now the governor has less than a month until voting begins to convince California shop owners that he still understands what they're going through. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati in Calaveras County. Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul, for 30 years, or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. In February of 2020, before the pandemic set in, 
Homelessness was the sole focus of Governor Gavin Newsom's State of the State address. And while the pandemic may have shifted some attention away from homelessness and housing affordability, these issues have, of course, persisted. But now lawmakers have announced a first-of-its-kind foreclosure intervention program that's set to provide $500 million to nonprofits to turn buildings in foreclosure or at risk of it into affordable housing. Here with me to talk about this new funding is Kate QED housing reporter Erin Baldessari. She's been diligently covering the strides that tenants and aspiring homeowners have been making in a housing system where many feel set up to fail. Hi, Erin. Hey, Lily. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Let's talk policy in a minute. But first, start by telling us a little bit about Jocelyn Foreman of Berkeley. She is a mother and a grandmother who you've been in touch with in your reporting on this story. And she's been homeless off and on for the last 20 years. Yeah, you know, even though she's had two jobs, she just hasn't been able to find some place she could afford that was, didn't involve a brutal commute to her job and to her kid's school in Berkeley. But um, that changed for her in 2018. She heard from a coworker that his uncle had just passed away and that the house was vacant. So, you know, she got the landlord to agree to rent to her. And for the first time, she was really able to find some stability. But it didn't last. A little more than a year later, she started to see notices pasted on the door of her house saying the house would be sold at a foreclosure auction. And turns out the homeowner was having trouble keeping up with the mortgages on that house. But for Foreman, I mean, this was just heartbreaking. The prospect of losing her home again, to have to go back to couch surfing with family. You know, this was the first time she was able to host Christmas parties and birthdays. And, you know, her adult daughter and grandson were staying with them sometimes. And she was really determined to stay. This is it right here. So I said no repeatedly to myself. I'm not going anywhere. Your grandson is not sleeping on somebody's floor. That's not going to happen. So Jocelyn did something really unusual. She actually went to the foreclosure auction. The bidding started at $175,000 and then it just went up and up and up and up, ending at $600,000. And the winning bid was Wedgwood. This is a real estate flipper based out of Redondo Beach. And our reporting has showed has bought over 270 properties during the pandemic. So they obviously have deep pockets. So this set Jocelyn up in a race against time. Thanks to a new law that went into effect earlier this year, she had a 45-day window to match Wedgwood's bid and buy the home herself. But of course, for a mom and grandmother who was already struggling to find affordable housing, getting the kind of money together to put a down payment on the house and secure a conventional mortgage just wasn't going to be easy. Right. And there was a law passed in 2020 designed to get homes into the hands of people like Jocelyn. But the problem was, from the view of many observers, that it didn't have any funding attached to it. How does the budget, the state budget that was just finalized yesterday, change things for people like her who are trying to fight back against these flippers like Wedgwood and others? You know, now there's funding. So, you know, State Senator Nancy Skinner wrote this bill specifically with Wedgwood in mind. She wrote the bill after a group of homeless mothers who called themselves Moms for Housing occupied a vacant home in West Oakland for a few months in, in late 2019. I mean, it seems years ago, but you might remember that. Um, Wedgwood had purchased the home a few months prior at a foreclosure auction, and the moms really wanted to spotlight increasing corporate ownership of housing, which they say has led to increased home prices and growing homelessness. Senator Skinner said she was 
worried about the economic fallout of the pandemic and the possibility of more people losing their homes once foreclosure protections are lifted. She wrote 1079 to make it easier to get more homes into the hands of regular people and not corporations. And that is the hope. All right, KQED's Erin Baldessari covering housing for us. Thank you. Thank you. LAPD Chief Michael Moore says he will review body cam footage after an officer shot a protester at close range with a non-lethal round on Saturday. KPCC's Robert Garova has the details. Cell phone video of a protest in Koreatown over transgender rights appears to show an officer firing a projectile at a protester who is just a few feet away. The protester falls to the ground. Moore says it's possible the officer didn't intend to shoot the protester, but rather was aiming at someone else in the crowd who may have been attempting to throw something. But he also said, The officer's actions of using that beanbag involved an individual who did not pose an immediate threat of serious bodily injury. Then that officer's use was inappropriate. The chief says that in the past, when officers have accidentally shot someone with a less-than-lethal weapon, he has found those actions to be out of policy. Black Lives Matter Los Angeles and other groups have sued the department, alleging widespread excessive use of force and other abuses during civil unrest last spring. For the California Report, I'm Robert Garova in Los Angeles. The LAPD is also facing added scrutiny over its attempt to destroy illegal fireworks late last month that resulted in a massive explosion in South Los Angeles. Police Chief Moore says bomb squad technicians vastly underestimated the amount of explosive materials placed in a containment truck before they attempted to safely detonate the fireworks. The blast on June 30th caused widespread damage to the neighborhood and also injured 17 people. Chief Moore says if mistakes were made in established protocols, the department would hold individuals accountable. But neighbors have called for even further action, saying the LAPD wouldn't destroy explosives like that in more upscale parts of the city. Authorities have said that 32,000 pounds of fireworks were being stored in a nearby home and that the homeowner has been charged in the case. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing defendable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, July 20th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Do you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast. And I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.